I think it's the first time I've made it through that song without sitting there bawling like a baby. Uh, even in rehearsal this morning, I was sitting back in my office over there just crying my eyes out. Have, have any of you by any chance seen the video that goes with this song? Oh my goodness. Uh, first time I saw that, needless to say, I cried again. But uh, man, what a, what a great job Alon did on that. Uh, and, and I know he put a tremendous amount of work into creating the background parts and so on. So anyway, we're blessed to have uh, so many really talented people that are so ready to go the extra mile to um, share and to be a blessing to all of us in here, and we appreciate that. We're starting a new series, and it's a little bit unusual in that it's called Life in a Word, and the gist of the series is this, is that as complex as we are as human beings and as complex as our lives can be, sometimes it only takes really one word to kind of summarize exactly who we are right now or or what our life is like right now and to kind of introduce this to you i i want to show you the the actual messages that we'll be covering and i say this because there's never going to be a better series probably for you to invite somebody because these are messages that deal with some of the more difficult things that we go through in life and so if you kind of know ahead maybe you'll uh you'll feel more comfortable on what might be the perfect message to invite a friend to. So here they are, uh, the title. The first one we're going to look at today is, is had, life in a word. Some people's lives, their whole life can be described with just the word had. It's about loss. It's about things that no longer are. The second one we'll deal with next week is why. Many a person that you'll meet and I'll meet are just stunned, and they're just asking the question again, why? I do not understand why. Why did this have to happen? If, and often that if, it's if only, a second word. Many people, we, we spend most of our lives looking back, uh, fighting regret, fighting with wondering if anything is ever going to be good again. If, if only, if only, if only, if. And then some of us, we have these words that we feel just kind of summarize us Maybe we don't share them with everybody. Maybe only God sees them, like that song says. Maybe only God knows, but, but misfit. We just feel like we never connect anywhere. We're always different. We're always the outsider, broken. There's just something that's beyond repair in us, we feel like sometimes. Or maybe our whole life can be just described as broken. And then hopeless. As much as I wish this were not true of anyone, the truth is, Many people hit a stage in life or their whole life comes to that place where they just say, what's the use? It's hopeless. So again, my hope is that you will uh, take advantage of this series, invite some people that you know maybe are in some of these circumstances. Here's my other reason for doing this series. I want you, each and every one of you, to be better equipped to come alongside of people that are going through these things and to be able to, to say an appropriate word, and sometimes saying nothing is best, but sometimes saying an appropriate word can be key when people are going through these things. Okay, I want to start us today with a picture, and if I could get that up there, there we go. You may or may not recognize uh, what that is, but that's the devastation that a tornado left behind. And if you're like me, I've seen so many of these pictures I look at it, and I think, yeah, wow, that's, that's a real mess. That used to be people's homes, 
And now it's just a pile of debris and cars are laying where the homes used to be and where people maybe watched TV at one point. But, but to be frank with you, it doesn't really move me anymore. I've seen too many of these. But you know and I know it only takes one thing to change this entire equation. If it's my home that I walk back to or if it's your home or your home and everything that you've amassed through your life all the memorabilia that means so much to you all the pictures all the memories all the things that make you feel safe and warm and at home is gone it's scattered before the eyes of the watching world and you find yourself looking at nothing maybe 10 years 20 years 30 years of accumulation of things that are precious and they've become kind of a part of you gone devastation that you can't quite even process it just it's too big when it happens i hope that none of us ever experience that kind of feeling but frankly we we have a family in uh, in our church a good friend of mine actually that um, just a year ago their house that they had lived in i guess for 25 or more years burnt to nothing uh, in a very very short period of time so these things do happen well we're going to look at a life today that was hit by one of these tornadoes and the only thing that can describe this person's life is had because everything that once was theirs was gone uh, a life that exhibits complete disorienting loss and when we are hit with catastrophic loss we kind of lose track of a lot of things we we're, we're just sort of bewildered and disoriented and and we can't really quite function in a normal way we're, we're sort of in this strange mental zone where nothing quite feels real and we're not sure what to do next now here's the thing when I do a message like this ever uh, I'm very aware that this message may perfectly describe some of you that are sitting here today had you may feel like your life right now your heart right now it's it's accurately described as had I once had something someone and no longer do I have it and no longer do I really understand who I am what I'm supposed to do no longer am I sure that I'll ever see a happy day again not, not sure I'll ever know what it means to be rid of the pain and the trauma that I feel because of the the degree of the loss that I've experienced and maybe it's a loss that uh, you had absolutely no control over that that's the reality of the world we live in whenever you live in a world where there is evil of any sort there is the potential for complete devastating loss that is absolutely beyond any of our control it doesn't matter how we try to amass safety and security you can't in a world where there is even the slightest trace of evil so we're going to look at a man who epitomizes uh, loss in the word had and so if you don't mind go ahead and grab one of those Bibles that are near you. We actually will be tracking through uh, them very carefully today, and you'll be at page 551. And at 551, we're going to uh, be looking at the book of Job. Some of you, no doubt, are familiar with the book of Job. Just while you're kind of turning there, I'll say a few words about it, because this is going to help you to understand just how devastating this man's experience was 
When you come to the book of Job, first of all, because the Bible is not written in chronological order, uh, the book of Job would really have to be placed back in the book of Genesis, somewhere around Genesis chapter 12. Uh, in other words, it was right around the time of Abraham's life. So we're talking about 1,900 years before Jesus, Job's uh, experience takes place. And so here's why I tell you that. Job didn't know anything about the love of God in Christ. He, he didn't know about the sacrificial love of God that we know about because we know about Christ. Unlike you and I, Job didn't have a Bible. He, he didn't even have a verse, not one. He, he couldn't go to Scripture and look at how God has intervened and interacted with multiple lives and, and get equilibrium and balance. He couldn't do that. He had nothing. He had nothing to go by. Um, what Job would have had, he would have probably been very, very familiar with the story of the original couple, Adam and Eve. He would have been very familiar with the way that an angelic being called Lucifer, Satan, deceived them by slandering God, insinuating that God is just a control freak and a bully, and that he was depriving them of the highest life they could have. But if they ate of that tree that God forbid, that they could have knowledge and they would be equal with God. He, Job would have been familiar with that. He would have been familiar with what happened during Noah's generation where uh, the angels that were in rebellion started intermarrying with human women and filled the earth with a hybrid race called the Nephilim and how violence covered the planet to the point that there was only one single righteous man left. Only one man left that truly trusted God and really loved righteousness for its own intrinsic value. And so God, in an emergency move, had to intervene. And Job would have been familiar with how the start over occurred and how life started spreading out. And in Genesis chapter 11, how quickly mankind united to do evil once again and build a tower so that they that could reach heaven on their own so he would have known a lot but there's an awful lot he wouldn't have known and what i'm trying to say is this is that that anyone today that just reads this this incredible treasure at all and i am begging you if you are sitting here today and you are unfamiliar, personally unfamiliar with the Bible. You, you have never personally studied it. There, there's multitudes of study helps today. Please do not think that, that I'm a priest. I am not a priest. I am not your go-between between God. I, I am a, a teacher. I'm somebody that, that's here to help you learn and grow for yourself. God's given this book so that you can go directly to him and you can know him directly. You do not need a priest. But you do need to be willing to read and study this book. And it does take help. It does need help to study. So if you don't have a good study Bible, uh, we sell them out there. We don't make any profit. We, we just want you to have a study Bible. But more important, you can have all the study Bibles in the world. But if you don't really study the Bible that is a study Bible, <laughs> you know, Everything that I say, every message I've ever given in my entire life, it is rooted, it is grounded in Scripture. If it just comes from me, from Randy, it's not worth anything. 
It all comes from this treasure that God has preserved and passed down to us. Please don't ignore it. You can, you can afford to be ignorant about an awful lot of things. You can be ignorant about hunting and fishing and sports and gardening and mechanics and science and climate change. You can afford to be ignorant about politics. You can afford to be ignorant about a lot of things. You are a fool if you remain calmly, quietly satisfied with your ignorance of this book. It's not too late. It's not too late to get into it. Job didn't even have it. He didn't have much of a picture of what God was like. We can have it very easily. So with all that background in mind, let's start reading in the book of Job. Chapter 1, verse 1. Remember now, this is way back around Genesis chapter 12 time. 2,000 years or so, 1,900 years before Jesus. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was pure and upright, one who feared God. And that word feared, it means that he had reverence. God was more important to him than anyone. And he turned away from, what does it say? Turned away from evil. He, he saw evil for what it was. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions included 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. In, in addition, he had a very great household. Thus, he was the greatest of all the people in the East. By greatest household, it meant that there were a lot of people working for him. He was a, a big business, as it were. Now, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one in turn. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of their feasting were finished, Job would send for them and sanctify them he would get up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all for job thought perhaps my children have sinned and cursed god in their hearts this was job's customary practice now here's where it gets really really serious and i'm going to propose a question to you to start with why why would god have this next section written in his word, preserved in his word, passed down to you and I, to human beings. Why would he want us to know this? Why is this critical knowledge? That's the first question. Second question, is it knowledge that you and I function in light of? Here we go. Now the day came when the sons of God, that word in the Old Testament is only used of angels, only. In the New Testament, it's used of those that trust in Christ and follow him. In the Old Testament, only used of angels. This is a scene in heaven. Now, the day came when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and who else? Satan also arrived among them. How many of you ever heard the saying, God is too holy to allow evil in his presence? I'm just curious, how many have ever heard that saying? Have you ever heard of something that's a bunch of more nonsense than that? Is Satan evil? How many would agree Satan is evil? And he's right there in the presence of God. So obviously God allows evil in his presence. God is omnipresent. Evil is always present with God. God is allowing evil for a little while so that he can abolish it fully forever. Let me go on. So here we have this scene in heaven. All these angels are arriving to report to God. And Satan's also there. Verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, ah, from roving about on the earth and from walking back and forth across it. 
So the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on earth, a pure and an upright man, one who fears God, again, that means has reverence for God, and turns away from evil. Now I want to ask a question. Does it matter to God what we think about him and what we think about evil based on what you just read? How many, how many can see? Does it matter to God? Absolutely. It goes on. Then Satan answered the Lord. <laughs> that was my addition. <laughs> Is it for nothing that Job fears God? Have you not made a hedge around him and his household and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his livestock have increased in the land. But extend your hand and strike everything he has and he will no doubt curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, all right then, everything he has is in your power. Only do not extend your hand against the man himself. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now the day came when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job saying, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing beside them. And the Sabaeans swooped down and carried them all away. They killed the servants with the sword. And I, only I alone, escaped to tell you. While this one was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep and the servants. It's consumed them. And I, only I alone escaped to tell you while this one was still speaking another messenger arrived and he said the chaldeans formed three bands and they made a raid on the camels and carried them all away they killed the servants with the sword and i only i escaped to tell you while this one was still speaking another messenger arrived and said your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house and suddenly a great wind swept across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. Sounds tornadic. And it fell on the young people, and they died. And I, only, only I alone escaped to tell you. Then Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head. Then he threw himself down with his face to the ground. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I will return there. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be blessed. In all this Job did not, what does it say? Sin. Nor did he what? Charge God with moral impropriety. Now, when Job said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, did the Lord take everything from Job's life away? What do we know? How many think that the Lord took it away? What, what did we just read? Who did the taking? Who, it was Satan. Folks, if your worldview, if your view of life and reality does not include other beings besides yourself, other thinking, feeling, reasoning, free-willed entities that live in a higher plane that are far more intelligent and far more powerful than you and I. I'm talking about angels. If your worldview does not include angels, 
one-third of which are in rebellion against God, and one-third of which hate humans, consider us just vermin to be destroyed and used as pawns. If you don't have that included in your worldview, you're not going to understand life. You're not going to make sense of what's going on on earth. You're not going to make sense of some of the things that may happen in your life. Let me go further. He said, Randy, you, you're talking about you want us to think about uh, the devil with a pitchfork in his hand and horns on his head and a little curly tail. No, it's not, not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying this. The scripture reveals that there is an incredibly powerful angel who wanted to be equal with God and who is so angry at God's refusal to share his throne with him that he has now set out to prove that God is not loving and good and sacrificial as he rules over his creation. In fact, he's trying to prove that he's selfish and a power monger and just wants control. And he'll do anything that he can, even the slaughter of sons and daughters, if he can prove his point. If your worldview doesn't include the fact that there's a battle going on, a spiritual warfare that affects the events on earth, you don't understand life. You won't understand life. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Please don't become one of those weird Christians. Those weird Christians that every time their car won't start, get behind me, Satan. I know you're hindering me. You know. <laughs> don't become that. Every time you or I succumb to a temptation from our own heart, don't go blaming it on the devil. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. I did it, you did it, we did it. But if you don't include the fact that there are other entities, real entities, and they are playing a role in this world now, and they're going to play a role in the future, you won't understand life, and you won't be quite prepared for dealing with catastrophic loss if it should be your day that your world, your life, your heart is described as had. I, I once had, you fill in the blank. You know, I once had a good career. I once had good health. I once had marriage and a family. I once had, I once had, I once had. once had a reputation. I once had, once had. Now it's just like, a pile of debris scattered. I'm not even sure where to start. Can you imagine the emotions running through this man? But through it all, even though he was confused, because remember, he didn't have a Bible. He didn't have Christ. He even says in his, in, his, in his pathetic prayer, he says, Oh, naked I came from the womb, and naked I'll return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. But the Lord didn't take it away from him. God loved him. God was boasting about him. Listen, you've got to have it in your mind, in your heart. You have to understand that, that God can see you as the apple of his eye, as his beloved child, as his highly faithful servant. And yet you can face loss, catastrophic loss. Now, some of you are thinking, doesn't pay to be too good. <laughs> you're too, if you're too faithful, like Job, you get too much attention from Satan. I think it's better to play it a little loose and not be too good. <laughs> That's not the message. That's not the message. 
but it is true. The only reason that Job got all this attention is because he's a guy that was for real. He really loved God. He really did. The little bit that he knew, he loved. He really trusted God. He really loved righteousness. He loved God's will. He really hated evil. It, it wasn't just about his own personal comfort. He was for real. But Satan refused to accept that. Satan believes that everybody's just like him, that everybody's running a con, that everybody can be bought, that everybody can be bribed. Essentially, that's what he says to God. He says, God, the only reason this guy is faithful to you you're buying him, man. You've, you've protected him. you put a hedge around him. Look at him. He's the wealthiest guy around. Take his stuff and see what he's really, really made of. See how much he loves God and loves righteousness then. What if that conversation What if that conversation in heaven came up for me? My name gets mentioned. Or your name. The book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 10, it says that Satan is still appearing in heaven and accusing before the throne of God day and night his people, his children, just like he accused Job. They're fake, they're phony, they don't trust you, they're just running a con on you, they just want to get out of you, God, all they can. They don't really like you or your righteousness. If anything, they're scared of you, maybe, and, and hoping to get into heaven, but they don't really care about you and, and the real truth. And he's accusing, and it says that he's going to continue to accuse us before the throne of God until he and his angels, one-third of them, are cast down and forced down unto this earth. Revelation 12.10 says when that happens, when you read the rest of it, that's the last three and a half years of human history before Jesus Christ returns. But until then, day and night, he's talking about you, and he's talking about me. We hope. Because if he's not talking about us, it might mean that we're not much of a threat. So Job, he faces this catastrophic loss. And so the question is, for you and I, and, and we've got something a little, little mixed up on our slides here. Um, so I'll, I'll go with the way the slides are, and then we'll correct it in the second service if we get a second service in. The first step we need to do is what Job did, and that's this, express our grief to the Lord. He, he, he doesn't eternalize it, he expresses it. The symbolism of shaving his head, tearing his clothes, this, this was the way in those ancient days they expressed their feelings of grief. He pours out his words before God, you know, he, he's letting it out, he's not holding it in. So the question becomes for you and I then, how do I react how do I react to loss when it's my day of loss? Do I get angry at God? It says that Job never charged God. He, he, even though he thought God actually did the job, God did not do the job, but he never charged God. I want you to think about it carefully. When you went through something that was unpleasant to you, when you had something occur that you wish had not occurred, when you experienced a loss of some kind, did your trust in God, your loyalty for, to him, your love for him remain intact? Or did you start getting angry at him, confused at him, maybe saying things like, you know, you could have done something about this. You, you could have intervened. You're supposed to be uh, the one that loves me. If I love somebody, I wouldn't let this happen to him. Which did you do? Or did you kind of like Job just say, hey, God, I know you love me. 
I know you're with me. This hurts like crazy, and I'm going to express it. But I know you didn't do this. I know you're not the source of evil. Which do you do? I've heard so many stories through my years, so many where people who will call themselves Christians, they'll say they're followers of Christ, they'll say they trust God, and you just let one bad thing happen in their life, and they turn tail on God and run and curse him, just like Satan says. They'll curse God to their face. They'll get angry at him. They'll shake their puny little fist in his face. You could have done something about this. Why didn't you? Why didn't you? You let my grandmother die. Well, the best I can tell, everybody dies. Somebody's going to die sooner or later, but yet we're going to be mad at God because grandma died, you know? just ridiculous but we do it here's the thing behind it what do I really believe about life when we go through loss when had describes us we've got to ask these questions what do I really believe about life I mean do I believe that everything is supposed to always be good is the ball always supposed to bounce in my direction am I supposed to be sheltered protected always is everything supposed to be fine for me, even though lots of other people go through hardships? What do I believe about life? Do I believe that God puts his people in this little protective shell, even though he never promises that in his word? That's not his purpose in this life. His purpose is to allow evil for a little while so that he can abolish it forever. And by letting evil be exposed is one of the ways that he destroys it. We see its hideousness. We, we feel its pain to the point that we hate it and we don't want it. What do I really believe about life? Do I believe the purpose of my life is just to have some fun for a while? You only go around once. Get all the gusto you can. Is that what I think the purpose of life is? No. The purpose of life is that I am to grow and develop and to become the human being that God intended me to become and do the things that God intended me to do. That's your purpose in life, to become a Christ-like version of yourself. It's the purpose of my life. But what do I believe about life? If I believe life is about my fun, my fortune, my fame, fulfilling my dreams we're vulnerable what do we really believe about life will determine how we react to loss and then what do we really believe about God do we believe he's this Santa Claus that's just supposed to give us toys and make everything better for us and you know we're, we're to be protected some of you the truth is you're, you're angry a little bit maybe at me right now because I've burst some bubbles listen to me God is not he he never promises, he never promises in his word anywhere to protect us from the troubles and the hardships of this present life. Jesus, the last night he was with his disciples in John 16, you can read it on your own. He said to his disciples, he was trying to prepare them for reality, he said, buds, in so many words, in this life you're going to have trouble, tribulation is the word that he uses but he said be of good cheer because i've overcome the world in me you can have peace john 16 33 in this world you will have trouble jesus promised but in me he says you can have peace that's reality but what do i really believe about god it'll determine it'll determine the way that i react to catastrophic loss listen to some helps from the psalms on how we can ex express our grief to the lord listen when we have loss it causes grief it's legitimate there's such a thing as good grief and there's such a thing as destructive grief so when we go through loss god wants to walk with us through healthy grief listen to a couple passages psalm 62 5 yes my soul find rest in god 
My hopes come from him. Trust in him. What does it say? At all times. Good times and bad times. Trust in him at all times. Why? Because he's trustworthy. It was not God causing this pain in Job's life. It was, it was another force. You people, do what? Pour out your, what does it say? Pour out your hearts to him. For God is their refuge. Now, you've got to know how to do this. You've got to know how to get alone with God and pour out your heart. Express your grief. Don't repress your grief, but express it to God and maybe to a few mature Christians who can help you retain you know, your equilibrium during these times. Here's one more from Psalm 55. It says, cast your what? Troubles. Are we going to have troubles? Oh, yes. It's normative. As long as evil's in the world, there's going to be trouble. Cast your troubles upon the eternal. His care is what? Unceasing. Did Job, did Job know how God felt about him? How many think that Job knew how God felt about him? Can I see your hands? Okay. There's no reason, respectfully, there's no reason to believe that Job would have known. He, he didn't know God was up in heaven bragging about him. He didn't know that Satan was the one destroying him. He didn't know that he was the apple of God's eye. He didn't know that he had God's unceasing care and affection and love. You cannot, I cannot ever, listen to me carefully on this one. You cannot, you must not judge God's affection for you by what's going on in your circumstances. We judge God's affection and faithfulness and devotion to us by looking at what he's revealed about himself, particularly at the cross. When I see the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, suffering and dying on the cross, that is the expression of his eternal devotion and love for me. Nothing that can happen in this life, nothing, nothing could ever shake my trust in him. It's not because there's anything strong in me. It's just because his demonstration has proven for all time his trustworthiness, his goodness, and his sacrificial love for me. That's where you have to look. If you look at your circumstances as the measure of God's loyalty, his affection, his faithfulness, you're going to be deceived. And that's all unnecessary. His care is unceasing. He will not allow his righteous to be what? Shaken. But if we don't understand what's going on, we might get shaken. Now, I want to share something with you. There's a guy named Daniel McConchie. He's actually a senator uh, right now, I think I have a picture of him. He's an uh, Illinois state senator. And uh, to tell you a little bit about the statement, just keep that slide up there for a moment. Uh, Daniel McConchie was riding his motorcycle one day, and uh, someone pulled out, hit him. Um, terrible, terrible damage done to him, and they sped off. They never found the person who hit him. It was a hit and run. Uh, he is a paraplegic, has been a paraplegic since uh, September of 2007. That's where, where that statement comes in. He says, God has not healed my affliction. By the way, he's a fully devoted follower of Christ. God has not healed my affliction, but he has taught me the power of, what is the word? Now, that's not a word we hear much of today, lamenting. Lamenting is a word, an Old Testament word for like, just taking your sorrow, your anguish, your pain, finding words and spilling it out, maybe even writing it out. Can I, can I go back to that one time? He's taught me the power of lamenting to him. 
you got to get this. To him, where do I go when I've had catastrophic loss? To him, where do I pour out my grief? Who do I pour out my heart to? To him. He is the only one that can feel what you and I feel inside. He is the only one that, that can completely attach to our hearts and souls and bring authentic healing to us in these kinds of experiences. Now, he gives an example of one of his laments. Bear with me, this is a little long, but this is Daniel McConchie, who is a paraplegic. He has two children, two teenage children. He is a senator. His life goes on, but he is in a wheelchair. He will be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life unless God does a miracle. Here's his words. He says, wearily I drag on, tiring of the waste, hating the horror, the pain, the suffering, the never-ending trial. The endless story drags on and on and on. Hope turns black. This evil I have seen. Nightly, my dreams show me restored. Can you imagine this? The man dreams of being fully functional. He remembers the days. Nightly, my dreams show me restored. In the morning, I am broken again. Cursed to relive the horror of suffering's first day. It goes on. How long? How long must I wait here in the middle? Between healing and hell, between heaven and horror, I'm unable to move, unable to see, lost in eternal confusion. He actually is able to see. That's, he's expressing his confusion about this. There's nothing I can do. In no way can I help. I sit in the ruins and wait and take comfort in those who lie in the ashes with me. He goes on. But one day, by his promise... I will stand. Restored as his message of hope is fulfilled. The Lord will turn this horror into a fading dream. And I will honor his name forever. Now you have to understand, Daniel McConchie does not expect to be healed in this lifetime. He is counting on the resurrection of Christ. He is counting everything on that, that God will fully heal him, that he will live eternally in the kingdom of God where there's no more sin, sorrow, sickness, pain, or death. That's what he means by he's waiting. But he's confident in it, and it allows him to be uh, strong during this very difficult season of loss in his life. So the first thing we can do and we must do when we experience loss is to express uh, our grief to the Lord. The second thing that we need to do, and Job does, is to experience our grief with the Lord. Now, that sounds like the same thing, but it's different. It's one thing to express your grief. That's your lament. It's another thing to just sit still and experience your grief. And what I mean by that is don't run from the pain. That's our tendency. We, we want to find something to take the pain away. We want to do something. We want to get angry or we want to get high or we want to get drunk or we want to go spend a bunch of money. We want to run away. We want to move away. We want to quit everything with everybody and never talk to anybody again. We go through all these gyrations in our head because we're just confused and wounded. But the truth is we've got to do what Job did. He just fell on his face before God. He didn't run from it. He owned it, and he just went through it with God. It says he never charged God with wrongdoing. He just trusted God, though he didn't understand at all what was happening and why he was experiencing that loss. Let me share a few scriptures with you that just kind of help us with this, of just experiencing our loss with God. God is our shelter and our strength. He's what? He's always ready, always ready, unceasingly, we read in the other verse, unceasing care. He's always ready to help in times of what? 
But if we don't go to him in trouble, we're not going to experience his ability to sustain us as we go through these seasons of grief. We have to experience, we have to let grief be felt. But we don't do it alone. We, we do it while we wait on God. Here's a couple more Psalms. Psalm 147, 11, it says, But the eternal does take pleasure in those who worship him, those who invest hope in his, what kind of love? Unfailing love. I don't know how Job knew. He just, he just somehow, he just knew that God was good and he could be trusted. Here's a couple others. We meditate on what? Your unfailing love. Folks, when you go through a time of loss and grief, if your mind, if you don't force your mind, use your God-given will to meditate on God's unfailing love. He loved me before this happened. He loves me now that it's happened. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. You'll have to fight that mental battle, but you can. And that's how we experience grief and loss with God. I trust in God's, what is it again? Unfailing love forever and ever. We have to remind ourselves of these things because it is not easy when we're disoriented and wounded and confused and not sure what to do next. I'll close with a story by a guy named Ian Leach. He wrote a book, um, should have it there, a book called Life Before Death. And he tells a story where a certain businessman asked him to come in and uh, give a talk to his staff. And so he gladly took the opportunity. He's, you know, a Christ follower. And he went in and he gave this talk to the company. And then afterward, he said, a 22-year-old young lady came up to him and she initiated this conversation. No, actually, she was 23. Um, she said, you know, uh, a couple years back, my boyfriend, fiance, I can't remember which it was, and I, we were in a car. Um, we had a terrible crash, terrible accident, and he died. And I have gone through multiple surgeries. I'm, I'm doing better these days, but... It, it brought a lot of damage to me as well. And she said to Ian Leach, she said, at that point, I lost my faith. Now, I just want to ask you a personal question. I won't get real personal, but I'll get semi-personal. How many of you have ever heard someone share something like this? Something went wrong in their life. They had a loss. They went through an experience Maybe they lost someone, maybe they lost something, but they, in so many words, say, and that was it for me. That's when I walked away from, however they said it, from God, from Jesus, from the church, from whatever. How many have ever had conversations like that with people? Can I see your hands? Yeah, ne nearly everybody in the room. So they're not uncommon. They don't see evil as coming from another source other than God they see it as coming from God and God had this placed in the Bible to expose what Satan was doing way back at the time of Abraham he wanted the world to know listen there's a different source to evil he was using Job's sufferings Job became a leader a sacrificial leader to expose evil for all of us down to this time so that we don't live in a fool's paradise we can know what's going on behind the scenes so Ian Leach, he ratcheted up his nerve, and he was trying to think of how to answer this young lady. And he says, okay, he says, you, you may have heard how they test boats, like, like the 
the Queen Mary in various boats. They, they don't test them by keeping them in dry dock and squirting them down with big fire hoses. They, they test them by taking them out to sea, letting them experience storms. And, and that's the proof, that's the test whether or not they are sound and seaworthy and trustworthy. And she says, okay, I, I get that. He says, that's what God does to us. He says, you know, he allows the tests to come in life, but they're not meant to destroy us. They're meant to prove us and strengthen us and give us resilience. And so he, then he said to her, he said, is it that you lost your faith or is it that you had none to begin with? Folks, there's a lot of people that have a lot of confused ideas about what it means to have trust in God, faith in God. And it only takes the right set of circumstances sometimes to expose that it's non-existent. There's a couple verses I want to share with you. 1 Peter 1.7, it says, Such trials, such losses show the proven what? Character of your faith. When we stay loyal to God and loyal to righteousness, in catastrophic loss it shows our trust in god was real our trust was in god it was not in what goes on around us it goes on in the same book of first peter to say so then let those who suffer according to the will of god it can be the will of god that you and i like job go through sufferings in this life it can be his will those who suffer according to the will of god what are we supposed to do entrust their souls to a what kind of creator faithful creator as they do good, you continue to do good. Job was loved by God. God was not angry at him. And we need to know that God's with us when we go through catastrophic loss. So, here's my last statement to you. Will loss destroy my faith or, what's the second part? Display my faith. When everything that's near and dear is taken and gone and maybe never to be recovered again, who am I? Who are you? Are we faithful or do we show ourselves to be faithless? Let me close by saying a couple of things. Um, we're going to pray, but I, I'm going to urge you, first of all, we, we, we've developed a bad habit here. I'm going to kind of be a little unpleasant here. Some of you have gotten in the habit of rushing to this door before the service is over. Please, um, I'm begging you for, for reverence toward God. Please stop that. If you're, if you're in the parking lot for three to five minutes and it's that painful to you, you can kick me in the shin if it'll make you feel better. But please, let's be grown-ups and let's not do this. Let, let's allow the Spirit of God to work until the end of this block that we carve out for Him. Don't rush to that door at the end, please. So... Should the day come that my name or your name is called in heaven and now we go through catastrophic loss and our life is described by the word had, who will we be? That's the question we've got to walk out of here with certainty about. Let's pray. Father, unlike Job, we have so much proof of your goodness, your trustworthiness, your sacrificial and unending devotion to us. But Lord, you know how frail we are. You know how scared we are. You know how, 
how difficult it is to just hold on to the slightest bit of joy in this life. So we pray that you'll be merciful again to us. But strengthen us inwardly and prepare us for whatever life may dish out that we'll know that, that it's not the product of your love should it be hurtful, but that you're with us. We can, we can grieve with you. We can express our hearts to you. And we can trust that you'll sustain us. Help us, particularly those that are going through loss right now. Help them to know that your loving spirit is seeking to comfort them this day. I ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.